0: Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Breaker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983.
1: Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast. A show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm Addie Broyles.
2: And I'm Alyssa Vidalis, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake and the offices of the Austin American
1: Statesman. Vulcan Video has been in the movie rental business since 1985, and despite the changes in how we watch television and film, the store continues to rent both DVDs and VHS tapes to TV and film nerds throughout Austin. In this week's podcast, we chat with General Manager Jacob Knight about why analog access to film and TV is still important, even in our digital world. With the Oscars
2: upon us, Austin 360 critics Joe Gross and Matthew Odom share their favorite films of 2018 and their predictions for this year's Academy Awards. They talk about what's overrated, what's underrated, and why we still care so much about this long-running awards
1: show that has become one of the most important televised events of the year. But first, let's hear from Knight, a film critic and former film projectionist who also co-hosts the Planet Vulcan podcast. He tells us how browsing through a real-life store influences which movies you choose and why the store has become a community hub for techies, Trekkies, and Luddites alike. night
2: welcome to i love you so much thanks for having me thank you for having us we are currently sitting in vulcan video over here on ben white in south austin and honestly this is my first time over here and i was not expecting the treasure trove of very tall like if this is what how many feet like nine feet it's got to be tall like
1: shelves over here
3: oh the the shelves are i think eight and a half yeah
1: they're stacks and stacks of dvds And VHS tapes, which we will get to. This is definitely a happy place for me and a happy place for a lot of people. Vulcan's been around for more than 30 years in Austin. It's an an Austin institution. Um, Jacob, you've been around with the store for seven years? Yes. So what role do video stores play in this media society where everybody just wants to stream whatever they want to watch whenever they want to watch it immediately?
3: Well, I think at this point, video stores are more of an archive than anything else like and they play two roles I mean for me every day is that it's an archive a lot of the time when you're dealing with uh, streaming media places like Netflix Hulu they have a very limited selection in terms of what you can watch what you can even browse um, in terms of film history we're here I mean if we don't have it on Blu-ray or DVD, we keep the VHS tape because you don't. There are so many movies that haven't even made the jump, in terms of formats, uh, that if we didn't have a copy of it, like we wouldn't be able to watch it. Like nobody would. Like I watched last night a obscure version of uh, Jim Thompson's The Killer Inside of Me from 1970 six that never made it to dvd or blu-ray and it stars like stacy keach and susan tyrell and you watch it and you're like holy shit what would, it, this movie would not uh exist if i didn't have this tape in my hands right now like you wouldn't be able to find it outside of possibly nefarious sources mm-hmm. let's say but um the other side of it too is the community aspect of it is that a lot of people lose sight of the fact that when you're streaming, um, you're by yourself or sometimes you invite friends over or what have you. But most people watch a lot of things in terms of series and Netflix originals, Um, at least if they're anything like me, while they're folding laundry or they're doing their daily tasks, they can pause it. It becomes background fodder to a certain degree. And you lose uh, the conversational aspect of cinema and art in general in terms of, like, we, uh, speaking as somebody who's worked at several locations throughout seven years, like, it's always great to have that moment where people come in, they rent, and then they stop and they say, dude, I just watched, insert blank here, and... It was incredible and then you end up having a 15-minute conversation with a stranger about this piece of art that maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't seen, but you're you're able to share your experience with it. And you can't do that when you're watching Netflix by yourself.
2: Right. And speaking of which, tell us a little bit about what Vulcan offers in terms of selections. Like what are these people renting?
3: I mean everything from new releases to the nastiest pornography uh <laughs> to, to be completely honest like we have you know if you want to rent this week the new suspiria by luca guadagnino is out if you wanted to rent the old suspiria we have uh you know Dario argento's you know restored suspiria on blu-ray and if you wanted to watch debbie does dallas i don't know like (laughs) we have that too like you can watch whatever you want or if you want to watch an italian art movie or if you want to watch a movie from south korea like you the whole idea of of vulcan is to peruse both the now and the past and Mm -hmm. maybe the disreputable alleyways that you wouldn't normally walk down
2: yeah, because I can see uh, through the office window here, you, I see Asia, I see foreign, uh, Cuba, Spain, action. Director's like wall.
1: The director's wall. Which is my wall. personal favorite. Well, that's where the cur- curatorial aspect comes in. Sure. You all are film nerds. Yes. If, if you work here, you know <laughs> a lot about movies. And yes. you can people can come in and ask questions and get the context and the history behind just the fact that there are two Suspirias, I I only knew about the one until Alyssa turned me on to the other recently. <laughs> um, but, but that's where the community aspect of shared knowledge and the the learning that comes from, and that transaction is lost when it is just going on to iTunes and, you know, renting a movie because you, you know, saw a trailer for it on TV or something.
2: Yeah. And, Shane, you I mean you're wearing a Pittsburgh hat, I assume, mm-hmm. right now? Like, pit. Um what ha- have you been to other video stores and how does that atmosphere compare to like specifically Austin ones? Well, I mean, anymore, there aren't
3: any more video stores, but I mean, stretching back like years and years and years, I worked at Blockbuster as a kid in high school. Um, You know, we had family video, we had magic video growing up. We had West, like I'm from Philadelphia originally. We had a, a local chain called West Coast Video, which was the store at the bottom of the hill that was honestly, and again, to kind of hit back to the community aspects of it, that was my film education when I was too young to watch most of the movies I was renting because there was an old stoner hippie named Dale, who basically worked the counter. He would let me come in and rent for how much, basically if I had five to $7 in my pocket, he would let me rent between five to seven movies on my parents' account. He wouldn't tell as long as I had them basically back, and he would just let me raid whatever section that I wanted. Normally it was horror. Um, Good man. But that's... Again, hitting hitting back to what you were saying is that's the educational aspect of it. And that's my experience with video stores. is that like we you don't learn about film streaming Friends season six on Netflix. You <laughs> learn about it just by going and kind of spelunking the depths of like what's here. And at Vulcan, everything's here for the most part. I mean, if, if there's a copy out there, we're going to try to get our hands on it. Now, in terms of modern video stores, I mean, the, the king or queen, we don't want to be, you know, gender biased. <laughs> the royalty. Uh, the royalty <laughs> right now is Scarecrow. It's always going to be Scarecrow out in Seattle. Um, they're the greatest video store that's ever existed. They're the greatest video store that ever will exist. Everyone who works there is um, just an incredible wealth of knowledge, and you can go and rent I mean, the one thing that I miss that I wish we had more of at Vulcan or any of is they have like LaserDiscs. That lost format that I don't even think anyone has a LaserDisc player anymore. Like I think I've only ever seen three in my lifetime, Mm. but they have the old Criterion laser discs, where like a lot of uh, newer DVD and Blu-ray releases are basically pillaging their old commentary tracks and everything for special features um is that if you wanted that original uh Criterion release of like Armageddon you could get it and they have it and there I've only been there twice but every time I go there it's for me
2: like nirvana i was nice because it's in seattle right yeah ah i didn't even go there i didn't even, that wasn't even a conscious decision <laughs> right well i was reading up on like video store just kind of preparing for this uh, segment and stuff like video stores like how they've been in austin and stuff and scarecrow came up uh they recently went to the non-profit format yeah in order to stay afloat right um so it seems like the the thread I've been kind of like reading into is that what keeps these stores resilient is the people and the love for seeing these movies being preserved.
1: Well I think about other forms of art. I mean this is essentially yeah. an art preservation society in a way. Um, but sure. just the format is you know different than if you were to to the Blanton and they have curators and they have events and they kind of do the similar a similar thing where they present art and and then allow to you know different ways for people to engage with that art and you do it just with a shelf out there. Mm-hmm. What was it what was the name of that movie that we were looking at Oh,
3: um the Mick Garris children's film that I'm now <laughs> blanking. Oh, I want to say uh, Fluffer
1: Nutter and that is not what it is. <laughs> it is not
3: Fluffer Nutter. Fuzzbucket.
1: <laughs> wow, that's even better. Yeah. But Fuzzbucket like okay, so I was perusing the store here before we started recording, and I found this movie called Fuzz Bucket that I had legit forgot about that because it gave me night terrors when I was a kid. You re- you
2: saw this, movie. yeah? And
1: I and I brought it up because they you all had it displayed on the you know family viewing. It's an old Disney movie, um, and it turns out that the director has a whole bunch of connections to other films. Mm-hmm. That, you know, with from everything from Steven Spielberg to the horror genre. Um, I would not have even remembered that that movie existed and that I had a memory of it if I hadn't seen the. The case on this shelf because you had thought to, you or somebody had thought to sort of put it out and right next to newer releases that are family friendly, but pull out the old content. Um, and I just see parallels. I mean, going back to your question, Aly- Alyssa, about like what specifically about film makes it so special. I mean, just by two measly sense, or it's appealing to so many different people and so many, you know, multi-generations. It's something Mm -hmm. that's... It's not only something that you can enjoy and appreciate, but it's entertainment and it's um, an activity, not only just to fill time, but um, that people can bond over in a way that a painting on a wall can't necessarily do.
3: Right. And I think it's also good not to wax, like, too philosophical about it, but it's good to remember that film is possibly our youngest art form, Mm -hmm. like... It's barely over a hundred years old. So it's still evolving. It's still growing. Hmm. Um, People have painted and sung songs and told stories around campfires for as long as we've existed as a species. Cinema, uh, you know, has only existed as long as Thomas Edison essentially allowed us to first have that movie camera and then evolve. Um, But now I think what's most interesting about it is that you can go back and watch a movie from 1922 and then watch a movie from 2012 at the same time and watch how they're basically in dialogue with one another and how storytelling has evolved through this very very youthful medium Um, but at the same time it's just it's what we've always wanted to do as people we've always wanted to find different ways to tell our history and to relay the things that are important to us uh, both in terms of narrative and emotion because cinema is the, the art form that you can do the most with you can throw it up in the air as Steve McQueen once said and just kind of see what comes down
2: that's awesome uh, that reminds me so what would you say are some very special
1: movies really? that are not easily streamable or findable online yeah people- like what are some hidden gems here around here
3: uh, well, I'll give you one that I actually just watched a couple days ago that I had never personally seen. Um, we only have – we only had a VHS. We just upgraded to a Blu-ray of it. It's called Alamo Bay. It's from 1985, I want to say, but it's from a director named Louis Malle, who most people know that made like ele- – he was a French director who made like Elevator to the Gallows, uh, Au Revoir, Au Revoir. La Enfance, like, are his kind of his famous films. But during the mid 80s, he came to America and made, let's say, genre adjacent films. Uh, he made, like, Amer- uh, Atlantic City with Burt Lancaster. And then, uh, pretty closely after, he made Alamo Bay, which was shot um, right down by Corpus Christi. And it's about a small Texas fishing town, uh, shrimping town to be more specific immediately after Vietnam um, and the Vietnamese immigrants who essentially fled their country to come to America to uh, create a new life for themselves um, and how they established this small community in this fishing village. Well, the other half of the fishing village is populated by uh, Vietnam vets who are intense racists against the vietnamese for obvious reasons um and ed harris is the kind of lead uh shrimping boat captain who's seeing his uh profits kind of decrease as the the vietnamese immigrants kind of come in start up their own boats and so he starts to organize using the help of the ku klux klan um, to basically start this race war against one another. And it's this movie that you watch and you're like, here's this French director who came to Texas in 1985, made this movie that's incredibly textured because if you've ever been to the Galveston or like any of the beaches in Texas, like he just gets that very ruddy, earthy feel mm-hmm. that they kind of own while also getting this very naturalistic feel for the people who inhabit there and having this intense kind of empathy for the immigrant experience and these people who basically came looking for like the American dream um, to uh, establish for essentially themselves who get into a war with people who don't want them in their country after we've already kind of invaded their country illegally to a certain extent so it's just a really interesting strange genre movie that most people I had never heard of it I and it was an an experience where I saw it sitting on the shelf and I was like Alamo Bay Ed Harris, the Ku Klux Klan amazing why have I never heard of this but that's that's the best way to sum up the experience at Vulcan too is that you can come peruse the shelves and see something that you're instantly like I didn't know this existed before today and it just changes your entire perspective on on Movies or maybe even just one filmmaker in general.
2: That's amazing. I th- I, would l- I grew up in Victoria. That's my hometown. Like wow. that, the coast.
3: It's Port. Um,
2: Porte, Port Aransas. Rock no, port?
3: it's not Port Aransas. But they <gasps> shot it all on location.
2: Sure, sure, sure. There's just oh man. I can I, okay, Now I have to see
3: that. <laughs> like and like Corpus Christi plays like right. a plot point in it hmm. because it's Ed Harris and like Amy Madigan. Um, who most people know from like Field of Dreams mm. and stuff is the daughter of basically the head of the kind of local shrimping port who's played by, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's the older in uh, man from The Thing. Uh, but he has a heart attack at one point and she has to essentially take him to the nearest hospital as Corpus Christi. Hmm. So
1: I wanted to ask about what kind of customers come in and out over the course of a day and how that maybe has changed over the seven years that you've worked here.
3: It hasn't changed. That's been kind of the the beautiful thing about it is that you have a mixture. Is that if you're if you're during the day, um, which I am now, kind of most of my hours are usually between like ten and six. You see a lot of the same folks, normally uh, older individuals who this is kind of like a library to them. They want to come, hang out, talk about older movies, um, and uh, just kind of haven't a buddy to talk to about the things that they're interested in. And then you have the regulars who like, you'll see the same set of people who like, this is just their normal stop on the way to work or home from work. Um, they want to get there, you know, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we have our two for one special. They want to get their couple, you know, a new release and like an older movie for free so that they can kind of uh have their little routine during the week um at night you get a lot of like a lot of younger folks we used to be open till 2 a.m so we don't get as many drunks um which is great because Mm. there was a back when i started it was on the elizabeth street store that was off of congress and it was now we're only open till 11 o'clock at night uh, back when I started, we were open till two in the morning, and when the bars closed, uh, or you know, we're basically kicking people out when they were too drunk. You would get some who wandered into Vulcan, so you had to play the dual uh, role of clerk and bouncer. <laughs> Just be like, no, man, please don't pee in our trash can or vomit anywhere. That would be bad because I only make minimum wage and don't want to clean that up um that's where that
2: velvet rope outside came from
3: yes (laughs) that is where the velvet rope came from but we also had like a store on the drag too where that was a issue let's Mm -hmm. say um was with drunks but then you also have a lot of regulars at night um we don't have as many here we actually had them on the north loop store before that closed where you had guys who just loved to come in and They would bring their bottle of wine or their six pack of beer and they would just hang out with us and it would become like a drinking slash movie club because we were located right next to um, Workhorse Bar up Mm -hmm. on North Loop. And we would also have a bunch of their bartenders or regulars there who would go have beers or bring us beers and just come in and rent some movies and talk about them. And um, that's kind of the clientele. And then you have the occasional new Member, which, I mean, we still get a solid amount of people signing up for new memberships, but for the most part, it's the regulars Mm -hmm. that keep us kind of afloat and also keep the job interesting.
1: Well, I'm just going to put a quick plug in for all the parents who are listening. Uh, having my kids get to a certain age, elementary, middle school, uh, that actually reinvigorated my love of coming in here because yeah. I wanted to introduce them to the experience of browsing a store because that had been missing from their early childhood years. And now, and I think now that you moved further south and are a little closer, we we pop in and um, they start asking more questions about movies in a way that they weren't, and they don't when we're at home and they're just kind of flipping through what's ever on Netflix and Hulu. So I, I think it's a really great uh, bonding experience for families to come in and um, and have that experience. Yeah, and you mentioned memberships. Can you uh, kind of run down uh, some of the things that
2: Vulcan offers? I noticed on the door there's free birthday rental, there's yeah. a s- student, and there's like an amnesty day, and like, you'll have a list of things.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, the free you have the free rental on your birthday, Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, you get rent one, get one free. So a new release comes with an older release or an older release with another older release. Um, Every first of the month is Amnesty Day where if, I mean, for those who aren't, I guess, familiar with how video stores work, which you would be surprised (laughs) with how many people walk into the video store and go, holy crap, man, how do you even like rent a movie here? And you're like, you've spent way too much inside with Netflix, dude. Mm -hmm. But uh you get your late fees that kind of accrue if you don't bring the movies back on time. Some people will bring them back and have $40 worth of late fees. So Amnesty Day is when we cut them in half. So you want to pay off $40 in late fees for 20 bucks? come in the first of the month. Uh, Thursday is Student Discount Day, um, where just any kind of valid student ID will give you a 20% off. And we have the Go Local cards, which if people use them in the area you know you can purchase a go local card here present it at uh vulcan or any number of austin businesses and you get i believe anywhere between 15 and 20 percent off but that's based on the you know individual business
1: Sure. So you are staying relevant with a new addition to the lineup, which is a podcast. Yes. Do tell us about what your plan is with that show.
3: It is Planet Vulcan. It's hosted by myself and Rocky Juarez, who has been here longer than uh, me. He's been here for 12 years now, I want to say. But... We're doing weekly episodes. We're going to be talking about you know new releases. Our first episode aired with Glass, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, we're going to try to mix it up and have uh, things that are theatrically released and then also new releases that are hitting video because duh. Um, and then we're going to have employee picks, uh, kind of pretty much similar to what i just did with you guys with alamo bay is that we're each going to pick a title and just kind of go into why we love it then we have special guests uh which uh like for the first episode we had wilson smith who does uh work at vulcan but he also produced uh and worked on it comes at night for trey schultz he worked on a bunch of the terrence malick movies that have kind of shot locally uh for the second episode we had uh, marissa mirabal who's a local journalist she works uh, at the chronicle i know that's a dirty word here but not, we love uh, them all uh, we do uh, i'm just kidding but she <laughs> writes there she writes for birth movies death she writes for uh, slash film um and that's kind of going to be the format is that it's bringing the voice of vulcan video to a more I guess, global platform since it's a podcast. I always want to say national, but it's like, no, people in Japan could listen to it Mm -hmm. if they wanted to.
1: Eavesdrop on your conversation that you have here at the counter, which is a pretty fun activity if you'd ask me. Well, thanks, Jacob, so much for letting us come in and pick your brain about what it's like running a video store these days.
3: No problem. Thanks for having me. And you guys are great. Thanks.
4: Matthew Odom from The Statesman here with Joe Gross, of course, talking about the 91st Oscars. Kind of a weird Oscars this year, wouldn't you say, Joe? Uh,
5: Incredibly strange. Uh, Nobody seems to be hosting it. Nobody seems to want to host it. (laughs) They eliminated the two categories for about a week. The Academy eliminated the two categories that make cinema cinema, not eliminated, but eliminated from broadcast, the two categories that make cinema cinema, cinematography and editing. Which uh, Guillermo del Toro pointed out are literally the only two things that aren't imported from the theater arts. And then they put them back on for broadcast. And uh, yeah, uh, shambolic seems to be uh, what they're uh, going for. And
4: it seems like, you know, when A Star is Born came out, even when the trailer came out, it felt like a, a front runner. And it's kind of faded back. Um, there's some complicated. Um, there are some complicated movies that are now in the running. There are some bizarre performances. Not necessarily bizarre performances, but not great performances that you'd think of for yeah. the best actor and actress categories. There, It's a really weird queen movie we'll get to. The best actress category will probably go uh, to a movie uh, that hardly anybody has seen. Yeah, So it's, it's odd. So let's jump to some of those uh, awards that weren't going to make it to air, but now are. Best Cinematography, The Favorite, It's Roma, and I guess we can do a should win, will win. Uh, You've seen more of these than I have. You've seen probably all of them. Uh, I've seen a good number of them, but I would say best cinematography, will win, should win. What do you say, Joe? Uh,
5: I think um, it's probably going to. I mean, cinematographers always look kindly upon stuff shot in black and white because it is so much harder than shooting in color for a whole lot of reasons. You really have to know how light works. And how stuff works. So I think that is, that's both should win and will win, I think.
4: I would agree with that. And I think we'd both say the favorite is a very cool looking film. Yes, um, absolutely. That any other year would probably be right there, but it totally. was quite the feat. Best original song, you know, we've got Al Fight from RBG, All the Stars from Black Panther, of course, uh, with Kendrick Lamar, The Place Where Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins Returns, have not seen it. Uh, when a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings. From the Coen brothers, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and then Shallow from A Star is Born. After all the early buzz on A Star is Born, this might be the only award that the movie gets. What do you think uh, will and should win in this category?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually fair. I think it's between uh, Shallow and All the Stars. Shallow already has the Golden Globe, so it will probably be Shallow. And frankly, it probably should be.
4: The um, best animated feature, I will admit, I have seen none of these. Fair but enough. I've heard a lot about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. So wh- who will and should win this award?
5: Uh, it should absolutely be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, you know, as much as Texans might pull for UT alum Wes Anderson and Isle of Dogs, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was the year's best animated feature by such a wide margin and on so many different levels that to see it lose would be a shame I think it's only real competition is Incredibles 2, which is from Pixar, and uh, Pixar has a uh, tendency to absolutely own this category.
4: So tell me, as someone who does not go to many animated movies, why I should go see Into the Spider-Verse.
5: Because it doesn't look like a thing you've ever seen before. It translates the felt experience of you know, reading a comic better to the big screen than anything I've ever seen. And it's an incredibly smart movie about race, class, middle-aged mediocrity, and uh, (laughs) with which we are both glaringly familiar. I feel so seen. And um, it's just generally a fantastic film.
4: So moving on to best adapted screenplay, Black Klansman is the favorite right now, followed closely by... If Bill Street could talk, and can you ever forgive me? This is a pretty interesting category. I think it would be hard to pick. You know, for me, I fear it's going to go to Spike, not because I don't love Spike. He's been nominated, I think, for almost a half dozen Academy Awards now. And I get the sense that this is going to be the one that they give him um, because he obviously is very deserving. I think Black Klansman might be his sixth or seventh best movie. So it'll be a little disappointing. a la Scorsese when he when he was finally awarded for The Departed but this is for best adapted screenplay um if Bill Street could talk obviously very moving as well a great great movie um and Can You Ever Forgive Me highly original um what do you think who, yeah, who will I, and should win this? I
5: think um uh it would be nice to get to see if Bill Street could talk get something that's a terrific film. Um, I'm torn between that and Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, which I thought was an absolutely spectacular film, a small movie, a very smart movie, very interesting movie about uh, a really interesting uh, confidence scam. And uh, so I think I'm, I'm to- I would be perfectly happy with either Can You Ever Forgive Me or If Beale Street Could Talk.
4: And we should say that uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, of course, written by Barry Jenkins, who wrote Moonlight. So he's won recently, so sometimes that could hurt you. Uh, Star is Born looks like this is not going to be the category for it. Best original screenplay. Uh, we've got Vice is the long shot. Then you've got First Reformed, starring Texan Ethan Hawke. Uh, great movie. Probably Ethan Hawke probably deserved a nomination there. Roma from Alfonso Cuaron. Green Book and The Favorite... And the favorite here is the favorite. Yeah. I thought that was that was a great movie. Um, I think that's a, a will and should win. Yeah.
5: Uh, what do you, uh, I mean? All I think all of these are fine. Yeah. Um, my own tastes lean towards the favorite, first reformed, and Roma, especially the favorite and first reformed in terms of in terms of screenwriting. But as far as originality of screenplay goes, sorry to bother you, and blind spotting really should be here, and yeah. it's weird that they're not in favor of something like Green Book and vice
4: yeah green book a complicated movie to say the least that is uh, <laughs> i mean the public opinion on it seems pretty strong but i think in critical circles um and on the internet there's been a, a quite a bit of backlash against green book and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out i don't know how much time uh, academy award uh, voters spend on the internet
5: yeah i not not a favorite of uh, movie critics this year or you know, lots of other folks.
4: Uh, Best foreign language film, Shoplifters, was great, as was Cold War, but I think Roma is going to walk away with this one.
5: It's probably going to be Roma, but uh, I want to give a shout-out to Cold War for packing something like 30 years of European history into a svelte 89 minutes, uh, which more filmmakers should think about doing.
4: (laughs) In which the uh, Oscars telecast will not do, Yeah, right. despite not having a host exactly into the acting categories best supporting actress uh, you have rachel vice and emma stone both from the favorite I, I like the way somebody talked about their two roles is that rachel vice was kind of the dramatic part of that story while emma stone was the comedic relief totally and um amy adams and vice who is great at absolutely everything um marina de Taviera for roma would be wonderful but i don't think that's going to happen which leaves us with regina king and if Bill street could talk Again, Barry Jenkins, wonderful movie. I think uh, if something from this movie is going to win, it's going to be Regina King.
5: Yeah, this is another category you sort of can't get mad at. Uh, Regina King already has a Golden Globe and deserved it. But everyone here was pretty much equally good. Uh, Stone and Weiss sort of cancel each other out. Um, And uh, yeah, I would be perfectly happy with Regina King taking this home.
4: You know, the Best Supporting Actress category, always one of the best. It's always awesome. It's always great, and I think it's... Kind of speaks to the problematic nature of filmmaking, and uh, the leading roles aren't always that great because those go to the men, but the supporting actress roles are always great. Yeah,
5: they're really terrific.
4: Best supporting actor, Adam Driver, who everybody fawns over a little bit more than I, uh, and Black Klansman, and Sam Rockwell, which is bizarre to me that he was even nominated for Vice. It (laughs) doesn't seem like he's in the movie that much. Um, Sam Elliott gets a touching performance. Maybe he'll get a career Oscar, Um, Then there's Richard Grant, and Can You Ever Forgive Me? But the favorite right now is Mahershala Ali in Green Book, and that seems to be where things are headed. Who do you think should and will win Best
5: Supporting Actor? Mahershala Ali was great. He's always good. This is another category where everybody is is great. Sam Elliott was sort of a mystifying choice for his part in A Star is Born. He's supposed to be Bradley Cooper's brother, and it's completely head-scratching. If he wins, that's a career award. Uh, I love Mahershala Ali, but I would give it to Richard Grant. Uh, All right. For Can You Ever Forgive Me? I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. And if Sam Rockwell ends up getting it, that's a that's more of a uh, you have been awesome in stuff for almost 20 years now. Here is a trophy.
4: Yeah, it's kind of the guy we'd like to have a beer with trophy, which absolutely fitting given he's playing George W. Bush. Uh, 30 <laughs> seconds, what's... For those who haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, What what's so wonderful about that movie?
5: Uh, it does a couple of things in a, in a really interesting way. It depicts the relationship between a middle-aged gay man and a middle-aged lesbian in a really interesting, really smart, and really touching way. And it's a very interesting movie about what a smart, resourceful writer will do to make her rent. And in this case, it involves, it's a true story, or based on a true story, rather, uh, about a woman named Lee Israel who uh, forged uh, old letters by literary figures and started circulating them in the old literary letter community and started making bank until somebody caught her. That's my
4: next career move.
5: Yeah, it's it's great.
4: And she's played, of course, by Melissa McCarthy, who is nominated for Best Actress. She's got the longest odds of of winning, uh, followed by Yalitia Aparicio in Roma, Lady Gaga in A Star is Born, Olivia Colman in The Favorite, and then The Favorite in this category is Glenn Close in The Wife, a movie I have not seen uh, and nobody I know has seen. (laughs) Um, And it looks like she's just a runaway favorite. It looks like another career award. I mean, you said one day to me that Olivia Coleman does comedy as well as anybody who does comedy and drama, as well as anybody who does drama. We talked about how there was the dramatic and comedic elements um, of Rachel Vice* and Emma Stone and the favorite, and she's kind of the centerpiece of that, and it all swirls around her. Yeah, she uh, can she, do both. She can do both. She's amazing in the favorite, but I guess. Glenn Close is going to win. So, what, I, what's I, your who who I, would and who should win?
5: I I mean, it looks like Glenn Close is going to win, which I find kind of mystifying. But this is for me, this is definitely Melissa McCarthy versus Olivia Coleman. Either one would be great, and uh, I think it's kind of a coin flip. Sorry, Lady Gaga.
4: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be Lady Gaga's night unless she pulls home a trophy for shallow. Uh, the best actor again. You know, I love Rami Malek and Rami Malek in Short Term 12. I loved him in Sitting Next to Me at the world premiere of Spring Breakers at South by Southwest.
5: I'm sure you had a lovely time. <laughs> he's
4: he's a great actor, and I think he's going to be around for a long time. Um, he's good in Mr. Robot. And you, you can talk about this much better than I. Bohemian Rhapsody, a pretty weird, campy movie. Also extremely populist and beloved, who doesn't like listening to Queen music. But yeah. he's going up against Viggo Mortensen. Um, he's going up against Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. Christian Bale is minus 400, according to some odds I have, meaning he's uh, the <laughs> so second rude. the second favorite. I mean, he's yeah. probably the best actor of his generation. Um, I think Bradley Cooper has a chance. I think this is an outside chance for Bradley Cooper to sneak in and surprise people, but it seems like, again, it's Rami Malek yeah. with a runaway.
5: Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was problematic as heck, but Malik, has already taken a Golden Globe for his performance. wasn't one of the problems. Uh, he was really good, and uh, you know. But this is this is an oddly who cares category for me. Uh, I you know I think Rami Malek probably will win. I think he probably should win, but I also don't care that much.
4: Nobody cares, and we're going to look back in a few years. Those who care to look back on these things, and it's going to be a head scratch.
5: Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Remember the year.
4: Fine. Yeah, and he's a great actor. Um, and he's great in that movie, but he is one of the only good things in that movie. Uh, best director. Um, I love Yorgos Lanthimos and the favorite. He was great on a WTF Pub with Mark Maron the other day. Super charming and winning and very smart and dry. Um, Adam McKay for Vice. I didn't necessarily care for the direction on that too much. Cold War getting a direction nominee. Um,
5: and not a Best Picture nominee, which is bizarre,
4: super bizarre. Um, and it's in the foreign language category, of course. Spike Lee for Black Klansmen. I guess if he doesn't get the writing award, there's a chance they give it to him here. It would be this would be, I think, worse than Scorsese winning for The Departed, um, <laughs> just because I think there's so many better Spike Lee movies. Yes, yeah. so I think Alfonso Cuarón for Roma uh, should and will win this. Yeah, movie.
5: he'll probably get it, um, and he probably should. Um, the only other uh, Lanthimos did a phenomenal job with the favorite, which was you know clearly kind of a populist move on his part. Uh, the one absence from this category that I found very strange was Paul Schrader for mm-hmm. First Reformed. Uh, that guy actually did make one of his best movies in a forty-year career, and uh, you know Barry Jenkins for Beale Street and Ryan Coogler for Black Panther aren't here either. But the uh, uh, which is also kind of ridiculous, but the uh, absence of Paul Schrader was very, very odd.
4: Yeah, and I would say Bradley Cooper, um, you know, the first hour of A Star is Born, you can't take your eyes off of that thing.
5: Yeah, and then it sort of unfolds geometrically like a suit falling apart.
4: So now we go to best picture. So we're kind of thinking, all right, the best directors for Roma, the actors for Bohemian Rhapsody, Things are kind of scattered around. Green Book's probably going to get a supporting actor. Beale Street's going to get a supporting actress. So there's no clear favorite here. And I think it'll be interesting, you know, this tiered voting, this preferential voting that they do, second and third place votes are going to mean a lot. Yeah. So I think something like Black Panther could sneak in there. Um, Roma right now is the favorite, but by no means a runaway favorite. It's followed by Green Book and then closely by the favorite and Black Panther, um, the biggest long shot is Vice, and amazingly, A Star is Born is one of the biggest long shots as well. Yeah. Uh, I,
5: I, I My colleague Eric Webb uh, put it thusly gr- that Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody are the New England patriots of this year's Oscar slate. Pretty well disliked by critics, but very popular and putting points on the board.
4: Yeah, and I mean, it is great to think Alfonso Cuaron, who's one of the, the great directors of his generation, could make a black and white Spanish-language film not released in theaters, at least not widely, and it could win Best Picture. I think in a year in which the Oscars are confusing and as an organization don't seem to have uh, their stuff together in terms of the telecast, in terms of their messaging, in terms of being somewhat tone-deaf and out of touch, uh, in a year in which things are kind of skewed, Roma ends up being the Best Picture.
5: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably going to be Roma. Unless, but, you know... It's also eight uh, eight movies and no favorite. So it could be absolutely anything, but it's probably going to be Roma.
4: Black, Black Panther is my dark horse there.
5: That would be great. It would be wonderful to see Black Panther win. Uh, and, you know, the Monday morning quarterbacking about that will be endless and exhausting. Everybody enjoy the Oscars Sunday night. Thanks, folks.
2: That's our show. Thanks for listening. Our theme music is provided by local band Hard To keep up with us online, we're Love Austin 360 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
1: If you get a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I Love You So Much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the Features staff at the Austin American Statesman, and the show is produced by Alyssa Vidalis and Addie Broyles.
2: You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch us an idea for the show or give us some feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-912-2504.
1: We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your limited edition Criterion DVDs. Until next week, we'll see you snapping the perfect photo of a bright purple Texas mountain laurel.
0: Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Breaker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983 you